Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of The Snapshot. We are your hosts. My name is Brennan Patrick, and I'm joined by none other than KM Best. The Snapshot is a Marvel Snap podcast focused on the competitive side of the game. Episode three is all about the different types of decks in Marvel Snap. Believe it or not, there is actually more to deck building than just Zabu and Leader. We'll be going over decks like Discard, Lockjaw, Death Wave, and many more. So without further ado, here's episode three of The Snapshot. Cam, good to have you back. How are you doing, sir? How was your week in Marvel Snap? Oh, the pause we put there. <laughs> like, how was your week in Marvel Snap? Because I do the same pause, right? Like, I do the same. How was? I'm going to talk about my week in Marvel Snap. I don't know where that came, comes from. It's but called I, a, I definitely do it. A pause for effect, sir. <laughs> I don't know what effect it's having. Is kind of what I'm getting. At. I don't know if it's actually conveying anything. Uh, my week in Marvel Snap was honestly a little more uh, saddening than I would expect. Mm. I learned two things. One is that there are maybe two or three free-to-play decks I haven't tried. And to be clear, I am hopeful for something like Patriot. Yeah, I think Patriot's a good deck. It's it's not like, you know, the funnest thing in the world to play. I am hopeful that it is possible to climb with Patriot. But I can tell you right now that, like, a lot of the old free-to-play standouts, mm-hmm. Ongoing Destroyer, Thera, they are subpar right now. Or not necessarily subpar. They're not, like... They're not, like, unplayable. It's just, like, instead of being something that, let's say, a Snap fan would have at a 60% win rate, they have at a 55, right? It's not like they're unplayable. It's just that there are better options now. And I think I think there is nothing that encapsulates this more than ongoing destroyer which Mm -hmm. was the sort of typical disruptive deck that still put points on the board it would win games off the power of cosmo and armor but it would also win games off of just putting points on the board and now the deck that does that is uh silver surfer and it has not only supplanted the role that ongoing destroyer had in the metagame it has supplanted the role that uh the other sarah decks used to have in the metagame (laughs) Like it is, it is a dangerous, dangerous deck. I think at any given time, it is one of the three best choices you could possibly make to play this game. And it will probably remain as such. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as Zabu, I, I do think he's very powerful. I don't think he's uh like the biggest baddest thing you can possibly be doing i think he's definitely up there with cards like silver surfer with decks like that especially at end game when people have access to cards like dark hawk and shuri uh but i think the fundamental thing i learned about zabu is i don't enjoy playing zabu decks yeah that's what i learned i don't enjoy it i like a deck where i can just play like a normal game of marvel snap most games yeah I don't like having, you know, like I'm running America Chavez so I can like do my overpowered thing 54% of the time and then 46% of the time I like really struggle and like don't have fun at all. Uh, That's not ideal in my opinion. Uh, But that said, it's a very powerful thing to do. It's strong and there's still plenty of unexplored space in the architect. It feels like with Zabu, you have a very linear path towards a winning game and a very linear path towards a losing game. And like you said, it yeah. doesn't feel like there's much in between, and that can lead to an experience that is less enjoyable depending on the player you are, right? Uh, I think in Marvel Snap, you can actually be rewarded for decks like that because it's, cl- oh, yeah. it's clear when to snap and it's clear when to retreat. But if your games are just kind of this light switch or on and off, it it leaves out the nuance of kind of what gives this card game essence, uh, at least for me. So I feel the same way. I I have been having fun with Zabu, but the games where I am not able to do my thing and I just play four drop on turn four, four drop on turn five, and maybe four drop on turn six, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) this feels terrible. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, like, I, I get that I'm spewing cube equity by liking the things that I like. But I loved that just the Shuri deck where it was just like, yeah, we're going to play a card on like one, two, three, four, five and six. And then we're going to move those cards around and see if we can make our one, two, three, four, five and six curve win the game. Mm-hmm. I just like that. I like being able to do the thing the deck does a bunch, even if it's used Q to cube equity, because I, I, I do lose out on snap equity. Like, you know, I don't have like a super overpowered. Ah, I'm going to snap before I do this into Zabu or whatever. 
but it's I don't know. I I generally like obviously I'm still enjoying the game. I'm still playing it a ton. I'm still having a, having a blast playing it. But weirdly, the deck and this is going to sound ridiculous when I talk about like you know how on rails the Zabu decks are. When I tell you the deck I've been having the most fun with is Galactus. Yes, because at least like like Galactus, you know, okay, sure, it's on rails, but it's extremely fun when it's on rails. You know what I mean? And it just it does such extremely cool things. It leads you to these extremely fun checkmate scenarios. You never have good cube equity, but it is extremely, extremely cool every time. That segues perfectly into my week in Marvel Snap because I had a ton of fun on Altar. Uh, the hot location, or I think it was the featured location, that actually incentivized you to play Galactus decks. Uh, I had so much freaking fun. Actually, I got to use my Null card, which I bought the day it released, but has been sitting in my collection doing nothing up until now. Um, I don't know. that. I think that that... That location in particular was a bit, it did feel a bit pay to win right? It kind of felt like the the best decks oh, yeah. were playing a lot of Series 5 cards. So, you know, it could be clouding, clouding my judgment on how much fun I had. But being able to play Galactus, um, I, I genuinely enjoyed that. Being able to play Null, Doc Ock was really, was really fun on that location. So I actually had a good time yes. on Altar. How about you? I, uh, that deck I played on Altar, the Galactus Null deck. I actually think it's just good, straight up. Mm. I think when you're not on altar, maybe you're supposed to run wave instead of Psylocke. You can go like Galactus into Doc Ock on four or five. But I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure yet because the the upside of downside of ramping your opponent when you're not doing that really sucks. Um, I will say I worry that we're becoming out of touch, right? Because like we're here like, you know, you know what I hate? You know what I hate? I hate playing this pay to win card. And I love playing this other pay-to-win card. <laughs> my my most hated thing is pay-to-win card A, but my least hated thing is pay-to-win card B plus C. Mm. B plus C, indeed. Yeah, I mean, the like we talked about this on last week's episode, sort of the the converging metagame with some of these Zabu decks and how we've a lot of them run things like Shuri and Darkhawk. It's it's a bit overwhelming for sure because with the current card acquisition model, players' engagement with Series Five card. Series five cards is uh, is kind of disgusting to be honest, and hopefully it does get a rework. Um, genuinely hoping for that, but I want to go ahead and hop into the news because uh, speaking of series five and series four, I actually have a question for you in regards to battle mode, which we got a lot more news on. But first, um, on January tenth, we did see Sauron released. I just want to get your thoughts on the card. It's a three resource, three power card. Um, I think it's zero power. It's, that reads on reveal, remove all abilities from ongoing cards in your hand and in your deck. So this has clear synergy with cards like Typhoid Mary, Red Skull. Um, it technically helps Lizard, but you don't really want to be playing that card late after turn three. I guess it's decent with Titania potentially because it's a one resource card you can play later. And I think it's- Ebony Maw. Ebony Maw, indeed. Yeah, and it seems like a natural slot into the zero deck, of course. It's just an expansion yep. of that uh, of that synergy, of that archetype. Do you think that this unlocks that deck? Is it going to be- <sighs> No, no. <laughs> yeah, playable. This card costs. This cards cost six thousand tokens. It doesn't unlock anything for anybody. Mm. There are like going to be twenty people who have this card. Like it, it, it maybe when it downgrades, it'll really actually affect the metagame. But as is, what it does is it makes a good deck better for people who are willing to pay six thousand tokens for it. Mm-hmm. Assuming uh, it's definitely if you're if you like love zero Shuri, this goes in there. It's good in there. Yeah. So let's assume it was a series three card. Do you think it? Does it make a good deck better or does it make a good yes. deck? Does it make a good deck great though? Do you think that deck could be like a viable sort of A tier on par with hard. Silver Surfer? That deck's a good example of like when we talk about what is aggro in Marvel Snap. Because when we talk about what is aggro in Marvel Snap, I think that deck is aggro, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a little combo, however you want to phrase it, but that deck is a deck that loses to your opponent's Shang-Chi. And that's kind of it. It puts a really big number out there and then is like, do you have the interaction to beat me? Yeah, it's like whatever, however you want to call that. It, it, it dictates the terms and then says, you know what? If you have if you have the stuff that that beats me, then you have the stuff that beats me. Fine, whatever. Uh, and there's you know, I think that's that's pretty dope. I, I usually enjoy playing decks like that in, in card games, decks that ask questions rather than decks that uh demand or have the answers right but i think yeah i think that's actually a pretty good deck Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I think it is a deck that I would play if I had Sauron. He's currently pinned in my token shop. He is 3,100 tokens away. We were in the middle of talking about Sauron, and we noticed that the video feed was flipped. So instead of being in the token shop, we were in the Pas Nakat. <laughs> Pas Nakat. Uh, so we were we were just seeing where everything was backwards. Uh, we 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 fixed it though. Uh, given our technological genius and prowess, we were in the middle of talking about Sauron, who I think is, uh, yeah, it's a card that goes into that archetype. Honestly, the only thing I don't like about that archetype is it plays Arnim Zola, but you have to play Arnim Zola. I'm just a big old Arnim Zola hater. Mm. Like I, uh, it's not even like a, a competitive thing. I'm just a, I'm just an Arnim Zola hater. I'm a hater. I love playing Arrow against a uh, clear Arnim Zola turn six. It loses to like everything. It's like oh well, but like you need the Arnim Zola right in order to have the the pin of Arnim Zola and the Haskmaster, right? They can choose to play around one, but they can't choose to play around both. And it's like, okay, fine, I get it. But boy, do I hate like, oh, well, they have priority. Here's an armor. There goes my deck. Like, it's, I hate it so much. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these bundles that came up this week. There's the Primal Masteries bundle, which is mostly cosmetic. Pretty bad value if you're looking for credits and obviously no collector tokens. I don't know who would buy it in the right mind. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, you can see that it is currently sold in my shop. There is also a pro. When you've actually bought that, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. All right. So there's also a pro bundle, which is not in my shop for the reason that it was sold, which is just raw credits. Uh, it was actually technically it's a. I, guess, I think it was plus EV if you're just going to buy credits every single day. Um, but obviously not necessarily. It's plus EV if you were ever going to spend 100 bucks on the game. Yep. And there is the added benefit that it does make you an official pro in Marvel Snap by title. So oh, yeah. that's a big bonus. And, you know, everybody kind of watch out. I do have that acquired at this point. But yeah, a couple bundles. Don't really need to pick them up. Nothing necessary. Would like to see more bundles in the future with these uh, with collector tokens because that's kind of... Sort of the main currency for people that are fully acquired in pool three. But yeah, we'll On see. On the subject of currency and bundles, it's almost certainly optimal to wait until January 1st to spend anything, right? Mm. Yeah. Like they're, they're doing the downgrade at the end of the month. And so uh, whenever that downgrade comes through, that's probably when I'm going to be spending the rest of my tokens or my uh, credits mm. which sucks because like i said i have sauron pinned in my shop there's a decent chance i just get really bored and spend the rest of my credits to just get the card now which i know is a terrible idea but there's a decent chance it happens yeah i uh, i mean you can definitely have some serious bar bars of more so the series five cards i, I did with Noel, but uh anyway, recouped it in the in the in the altar altar location Let's talk yeah. about let's talk about battle mode cam because we got some additional information about this it's coming out very very soon. Um, it is going to be a one on one mode, of course, but you will have ten health, which you'll be wagering. Um, it's not the same as cubes; your health just goes down. Uh, you can't really gain health, so it's a limited resource at that. So there's this issue that we talked about last week of you being, you know, on theoretically if there was this 10 cube format you're on one cube but then you snap to eight cubes. That's not going to be an issue because you can't belt more health than you have. Um, my question for you and Cam is in terms of battle mode, if there's some community grassroots tournaments, do you think those tournaments will limit players to only pull three cards? Christ, I have no idea. That is a very tough question. And I, like, I, I do not envy tournament organizers trying to parse this situation. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't be shocked if there were like, all right, no cards from the last month kind of thing. Uh, normally I'd be like, you know, that sucks. But now with the cards costing what they do, I think it's just like, it just kind of has to be what it is. Right. Or no series five cards other than Thanos and Galactus kind of thing. Like if you really want to bring those, de those, those decks, you can, but I mean, that, that is, that is weird. Yeah. I think that it, it could be okay to have a, have the competitive tournament meta be series three based, right. And then have cards rotate in off of um off of downgrades maybe including series four as well i think that that of course would you would probably add in the season pass cards ideally because those are somewhat acquirable i know they do come in at series five after the pass is done but we could see some somewhat of a microcosm of a format right to adjust so the players can participate uh with more integrity right but that's coming up it's very very exciting i think that 
if if there is anything to be excited about in Marvel Snap right now, I think it's battle mode. I think it completely changes the landscape of the current game and unlocks this this next level of end game, which we don't really have right now. Because currently in Snap, you basically you hit infinite and it's just like this void, this this ether of you can keep going, but it it doesn't really do no, anything. No, dude, you can play you could play five hours a day in the event for a title. Oh my god. Doesn't that sound exciting? Oh. Doesn't it sound exciting to play five hours a day in the event for a title that you can't even access on Steam that most people don't know is a thing that's happening right now? But if you're finding about out about it from this podcast, sorry, you're already too late because you can only do a certain amount of points every day and there are going to be people doing the full cap every day. So if you missed one day, sorry, don't even bother anymore. Yes. And you, isn't that fun? You also probably have to be infinite unless you want to put in an egregious amount of time, because if you're infinite, you can just snap every, every game with somewhat uh, immunity. Right. Uh, It's pretty silly. I, those, the whole event thing, I mean, we can get into this at a later time, but their whole event thing has been like a flop, like every time for me. I also think that how you engage with it, you can't engage with it on steam. You have to go into the news and you go into this other tab. I don't understand why the events don't work on steam. Yeah. Like that is that is that is like when we talk about things that are just like actually unforgivable. That that is like no balance problem even comes close mm-hmm. to me. They also no matter how much I hate playing Zabu decks, like that's not necessarily foreseeable. It's hard to understand, you know, how meta games evolve. Card design is difficult. I get it. Why can't I in, in, interact with events on Steam? Why is the news tab still broken? Someone needs to explain that to me in a way that makes any sense. Yeah, and I can't show it on the screen right now, but I also think that it borderline doesn't work on mobile either because when you go into it, not only does it take multiple tabs to get there, but it runs at like 5 FPS. The graphics look like they were transported from 1990 or something. It's super bizarre. Uh I yeah. really don't get it. Like, isn't it just a web page? Why can't I view a web page in your client? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I hope they overhaul it because events could be a cool way to incentivize players to do something interesting week to week. But right now that system is feels very bare bones and just almost like it's, I don't know, it's just like this part of the game that people don't really engage with, to be honest, in like a small subset. Yeah, when I brought the event up in Twitch chat, the number one question I got was what event? Yeah, what are so, you talking about? All right, Cam, let's head into our, our listener question of the week. The bend and snap as I like to call it this. Uh, this week's question is from Kevin Obis. He says, hey, guys, question for the show. The most recent round of nurse has me asking, should second dinner consider some sort of compensation for nerfed cards like Hearthstone does? HS gives full dust slash crafting currency refund for nerfed cards. If you don't know, I don't think we'll ever get uh, 1000 tokens per card that gets nerfed, but it sucks to spend um, your also rare tokens in the shop and then see a, see a card nerfed later as happened to me with both arrow and leader. Your thoughts, Cam? Uh, no, no, I don't think they should do that. Um, I can see the argument and it does suck. But the last thing I want is for their balance team to feel like they have a financial obligation to not make changes. That is something I I do not want to put the desire of the company to make money in conflict with balance. I just don't want to do that uh, because like I call me a cynic. But if you ask me, the desire to make money will win out every single time. Even if it doesn't happen on a large scale or a small scale, I just don't want those interests conflicting. Mm -hmm. I want Second Dinner's interest in the metagame to be, is this fun? That's it. I don't want them to have to think like, damn, we can't nerf Zabu, that card costs $10. I do not want that. I don't want them thinking, damn, we can't nerf Silver Surfer, that card costs $10. I think they already put themselves in that position in a way I really don't like because... The two cards for me that define this metagame are Zabu and Silver Surfer. And it's like, okay, if you nerf those when they hit Series 4, everyone's just going to be like, what? So the pay-to-win players got to play them for two months, and then we have to play the bad versions? And like that's already putting them in a position where they are incentivized not to make changes for the purposes of, I guess, PR or not having people get mad at them online. And like, I, I just I just don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. I, I like I want them to fix problems where they show up. I don't care if they nerf the card. I just spent 6000 tokens on if it's actually a problem. If I had spent 6000 tokens on Silver Surfer right now and they nerfed it, I'd be like, 
You know what? That's fair. <laughs> you, you, you probably were the right. That was probably the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, and I, I especially because like, you know, this person spent a thousand tokens on leader. And it's like, you know, every time I've said anything about, you know, if you want to buy leader. Yeah, it's good advice, but they might nerf it. And the reason I'm telling you it's a good card worth buying is because it's strong enough to get nerfed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to run that risk if you're if you're buying only extremely powerful things from the shop. Yeah, sometimes they're going to get nerfed. Like that's just how it is. And frankly, I don't think the nerfs did anything to Arrow and Leader. I think their fall off has been much more related to metagame things than nerfs. They're they're the exact same cards they've always been. Leader especially I think is actually a little underrated right now. It's just that if you're not playing Zabu, you're not ever going to be in what I like to call leader range. Like the range where leader wins the game. If they're playing like Darkhawk and stuff, your leader's not really going to do much. But it does seem like a really compelling card in a lot of spots right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, empath- I, I empathize with the player, like the sort of bad beats when you save up your currency, buy this card, and it does get nerfed. I would, I would argue or probably suspect that second dinners actually, like you said, already in that scenario where they are financially motivated around balance mm-hmm. um, with with season, with specifically right the season pass cards like. Zabu comes out, yeah. it's freaking busted. We can't, if they nerf it into the ground, like you, you KM best, the, the, the streamer, the person that plays all the time, the person that plays the high ranks, you might be like, yeah, that's good for the game, right? That's going to make my play experience better. But for the casual player that bought that in the season pass for $10 and is maybe mostly motivated at beating their opponents, not a good game experience, they'd be like, this is terrible, right? And yep. yeah. So there are that, that, it's it's a tough scenario. I think that they could add it in. Like I think it's it's a possible. Maybe it's not a hundred percent refund, but maybe something to help players feel a little bit better. Um, ultimately, we'll see, right? I think the player feedback would probably be pretty negative once they do nerf a prolific card into the ground, and people will uh, will be a bit louder about trying to get to that refund. But we'll see. Anyway, Cam, I want to hop into the main topic here, which is archetypes in. Marvel Snap. All right, Cam. So let's go ahead and hop into the main topic of the pod, which is going to be archetypes in Marvel Snap. We're going to start from the macro archetypes, things that exist in other card games. This is kind of the four pillars, right? Aggro, control, mid-range, and combo. But then we're going to go ahead and drill down into some specific deck lists because uh, Marvel Snap actually has a lot of different ways to play the game uh, in, in full pool three, mostly synergistic build rounds of specific cards. But you have these other sub archetypes of like discard and things like that. And we're going to go ahead and kind of take a deeper look into all that. But let's, let's start with the macro um, because it doesn't translate 100% one-to-one to Marvel Snap. So Aggro in, in Snap is, is not really aggro. My best way of describing it, I think, is, is kind of like Flood, right? So I would look at decks like Zoo, right? The, the decks that put on a bunch of, a bunch of one-drops generally are filling most spaces on the board and then have some sort of buffing aspect. Usually, uh, we talked about the Zero deck as being a version of aggro. I was also thinking potentially something like uh, Patriot. What are your thoughts on aggro in Snap, uh, Cam? I think aggro is the archetype that translates the least from Snap to other games because people think of aggro. Aggro involves, you know, in other games, you, you get down early, you start attacking your opponent. In in Snap, this tends to, I mean, obviously you can't attack your opponent, right? And also the fact that there are three locations means that, you know, getting down early isn't always the advantage that you think it is because it gives your opponent the information about your possible range of points on those locations. So aggro tends to mean in Snap just... You're putting a lot of points on the board and you don't really have a theory as to how you're going to win the game other than you're putting a lot of points on the board. Like that's kind of the thing you do is just points. And the skill of that is just uh, allocating them at the right spots on the board, playing around various locations. And what you're not doing is really interacting in any way. You're not really interacting beyond the base level of interaction built into Snap by the location system. So Patriot would be a good example of this. Zoo would be a good example of this. Sarah, I think, would not. Sarah had, back in the beta, Sarah used to be a deck that did this, but now Sarah is a Shang-Chi Enchantress deck much more than it is any kind of aggro deck it's it's mm-hmm. much more reactive interactive using the fact that it can play more cards on turn six than you in order to react to the threats you present on the board 
yeah, likely not going to see those those tech cards that find their way into Serodex in what you would consider to be a traditional aggro list or maybe a flood based list, kind of a more Marvel Snap native yeah. term. Well, let's go. This and is then, the one that this is the one that maps the least onto mm-hmm. Marvel Snap. Yeah. Patriot, I think, is the best example. But even Patriot is a little bit of a combo slash synergy aggro list. You know what I mean? Patriot is like. To use a Magic the Gathering analogy, it would be the Tempered Steel deck, right? Like, you're doing a very specific thing for a very specific buff, right? Is that an aggro deck? Yeah, it's a synergy aggro deck, sure. Yeah. (laughs) So the first thing that popped in my mind was something like Affinity or something like that, where you have, you know, all of these cards kind of have the same subtext where they have no context to get buffed from Patriot, and Patriot is your synergistic sort of build around there that's... uh, buffing yeah. all of those cards let's so next up is control control translating into model snap i'm thinking about a better word for control in snap is probably disruption um reactive whatever you want to call it plays a lot of cards like cosmo like you know potentially debris storm jessica jones like i think that control and snap is more based around cards than it is around like a a macro strategy i guess the macro strategy would be disruption right you're you're reacting to the opponent you're interacting with your opponent is doing on the board and your strategy changes dynamically based off what you expect them to play cam what are your thoughts on control i think this conflates two distinct styles of control uh so like something like a storm spider-man doctor doom location control deck right that's one style of control the other style of control would be uh, a we are going to wait until the very last turn of the game to play Shang-Chi and Enchantress on your big guys kind of control. Those are two completely different decks. One is a sort of proactive control deck that costs you cube equity for guaranteed wins, and the other is a reactive control deck that looks for high cube equity situations on the final turn of the game when stakes double. Mm-hmm. These are completely different archetypes in my opinion, actually. Yeah. And I- I would think that control more than any other uh, archetype we speak about interacts with the locations um, as well, is either by manipulating them or playing towards them, trying to put the, taking, I guess, more agency over the potential locations that pop up than the opponent and exploiting that to its advantage. I don't know if it's true. Like, the archetypal control list in Marvel Snap evolved out of the beta. It was a deck that played Magic on uh turn six in order to get extra turns in the game and uh basically just then go play like shang chi enchantress killmonger cosmo you're you're dead right and it that that was like the archetypal controllist and then it sort of evolved and, and diverged into versions of that playing storm and dr doom things like that I, I think that control means two things, and, and, and most people will think of one of those two things. They'll think of Storm, or, the, or they'll think of uh, Shang-Chi, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that's a really distinct... Those are two distinct archetypes. There's reactive control, yeah. and then there's location control. And so, like, when you look at, say, the Spider-Man Absorbing Man Zabu decks, those are... Those are proactive control. Sometimes they have overlap with reactive control, right? Because like you also have Enchantress and Shang-Chi in there that, that Absorbing Man can copy too, right? That's like a hybrid between the two, yeah? Yeah. But for the most part, these have remained relatively distinct archetypes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you could, if you wanted to just lump it into proactive and reactive control, Storm is probably uh, an aspect of proactive control where things like mm-hmm. Shang-Chi are just pure reactive. So that's kind of yeah. like, yeah, a good distinct sort of line in between the the two differing sub archetypes there let's talk about mid-range so mid-range is pretty well defined for me for the decks that have dominated um at least the meta before zabu but also the zabu meta so this is the good stuff decks uh and i have a i have a list pulled up here which is sort of the the zabu list i'm playing but the zabu leader decks seem like a good example of um of mid-range right they're they're just they're mid-range tends to go for for value right i mean i also think you know it would be a good example of a mid-range deck is a uh, sarah surfer right like they have this interaction uh in the form of cards like polaris cosmo killmonger they have all this interaction that also gets used as part of their uh big points game plan with silver surfer right it's not it's not something unique to just good stuff dot deck right it's it's also 
There are synergy-based mid-range decks like Silver Surfer, or to a lesser extent, Ongoing Destroyer, I would classify as one of these decks. Uh, and, and these are... They have been a part of the game basically the entire time. It's just the good cards. The good cards decks had a a, a big moment uh, last season because Silver Surfer decks weren't fully refined and Zabu wasn't out yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just want to be clear: like mid range, mid range to me just means decks that both interact and put a ton of points on the board. You know, like. They they do both things. They occupy both spaces, and they are able to fluidly switch roles between being a reactive deck and being a proactive deck. Yeah, and so to finally round it off, that leaves us with combo. So I think there's some <laughs> there's some easy first decks to think of uh, when you want to talk about combo and snaps. So I would think the the hazmat <clears throat> the hazmat Luke Cage deck, um, almost anything that's with Wong, right? This like Wongo combo uh, where you're mm-hmm. just trying to uh, either play whether it's a White Tiger and Iron Hearts or, you know, of course, a Silver Surfer as well. Uh, I th- usually the way I think about combo decks is they tend to be centered around one or two cards uh, that are key to the strategy, right? It wants to do that sort of one or two specific things. And outside of that, its cards don't work very well together. What are some examples of combo and snap for you? Ghost Rider Lady Sif decks, mm. I think, come to mind. Like that that's that's like a very that, that both of those cards have been nerfed. Uh in the beta, Lady Sif cost two and Ghost Rider cost three. So that was super cool. <laughs> you used to just run them in Sarah <laughs> with America Chavez, so you drew Sarah more and it'd just be like you're vomiting a million points. And more accurately drawing the cards you need, it it was great. It was a very very cool thing that they did. Uh, in terms of combo, pure combo is likely just like those Wong decks, right? Mm-hmm. Or like like there are a bunch of like ridiculously bad Wong decks, or like the Omega Red combo decks. Like those are combo decks. Those are true combo decks in the sense of like. You're gonna probably not win a ton of games, but when you do win those games, you're gonna win by like a million. And you might think I'm exaggerating, but I'm pretty sure the Omega Red deck actually can win by like a million. Um, I do question like, what is Lockjaw? Is the Lockjaw deck a combo deck or is it just like an engine deck? Did you like draw your Panharmonicon or whatever? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's a combo deck or just a a deck that defies my ability to categorize it yeah <clears throat> it does feel combo-esque because the de- i mean i guess if you just don't draw your engine that the rest of the list just tends to suck like really bad um but i don't know what about hella i think that hella is uh quite a kind of a quintessential combo deck for me yeah sure yeah, uh, like this very high race combo deck where you're you're discarding these these big cards that you pretty much have no intention of playing, and the whole time you're trying to not discard hell, and hell is just going to overwhelm the board if you're actually able to play it. Um, I like how you're like trying to not discard hell, like it's a thing you can try to do. <laughs> you're willing it. You're willing yeah. it. <laughs> you're trying really hard. Yeah. So I would say in conclusion, like in Snap, these archetypes are kind of much less defined than in other games and decks tend to be a hodgepodge of multiple archetypes. And I think that, you know, any of these decks can kind of technically play any card. It's not like we have these these segments between colors like you would in something like Magic the Gathering. So because of that, like you could find like you could find an aggro deck. I mean, like a zoo deck and this would this wouldn't make much sense but a zoo deck could play Storm, right? They could play Storm and like a player could just think that's a good thing to do, right? They're going to, you know, because they're going to be buffing cards on on the flooded thing. So because of that, in Marvel Snap, everything flows a bit more and decks can kind of be multiple archetypes. All right, so now that we've sort of broken down the macro archetypes of Marvel Snap, we're going to go ahead and talk about synergy decks, like these build-around decks that we've been referring to all throughout this podcast. We're going to go ahead and show you, if you're watching on YouTube, there'll be a bunch of deck lists popping up on the screen, so you can check those out if you're interested. But synergy decks and build-around cards, these decks are often named around the key card they're, they're built around, so Patriot is a perfect example. Um, we're going to hit a lot of them, but we won't hit all of them, so I'll have some honorable mentions at the end. And I think that these are 
these decks are a perfect example of how deep Marvel Snap gameplay and deck building is. Although, you know, if you listen to this podcast, sometimes you hear us talk a lot about Zabu and about Leader, but there's actually so many different ways to interface with the game. Um, and this should be a good example of that. So first off, Cam, I want to start with Patriot here. Patriot, general strategy and key line. So Patriot's playing a lot of cards that have no text, so they will have this flavor text on them. I have Shocker pulled up here. And the reason why it plays all those cards, these cards that are you would almost you don't see in pretty much any other list is because Patriot buffs them. And the generally looking to play Patriot, you're looking to play Mystique to copy the Patriot and potentially play something like an onslaught to um, just double those effects as well. Top end could some look something like Ultron, right? To sort of flood the board in a gotcha or surprise kind of way. Uh Cam, do you want to talk a little bit about this deck in terms of how you feel about it in general, its pros and its cons, and maybe its current viability? You mentioned at the top of the show that you think that this is a potential um, potential deck to play at higher ranks if you don't want to be doing the Zabu leader thing. Uh, well, I do want to be clear. The, the the version of Patriot that I would be playing does not involve either the card Magic or Wave and probably doesn't involve Onslaught either. But the basically, I just think it's a very solid deck with the current uh, featured location. And even without the current hot location, it is, you know, it's fine. It does its thing. It's a pretty predictable deck, but what it does is put points on the board, and that's maybe good enough. It, I've noticed that both of the stats websites, uh, Snap.Fan and MarvelSnap.Pro, both seem to think highly of it. I don't know how much of that is just, you know, it's very easy to build Patriot once you get into Pool 3, and so you're playing it against people who do not have full collections. I'm looking into it right now, basically, but I, I do know that like I have lost to it, so that's not nothing. <laughs> I have lost to this deck. I don't lose to it all the time, but I have. And like that's worth investigating, in my opinion. Yeah, I would say... Um, I mean, Easy Pro, right, is... The easiest pro for me is it is good against Leader. Like, this deck is genuinely good against Leader. Leader does not do much against uh, turn six Patriot play. Yeah. I mean, well, really, you play the Patriot earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the with, against the Leader decks, you're playing the Patriot earlier... Because then you'll play like Ultron or whatever, and like your Ultron will like absolutely nuke the board while their Ultron will make a bunch of one ones. And it's like, oh, well, that's one way to break leader symmetry. Yeah. And the cons being that it's it's just predictable, right? Uh, and you can find ways to potentially disrupt the Patriot and the, the follow up Mystique. Um, yeah. Nice. Enchantress. Enchantress is bad. Yes. Enchantress is. That's, that's like the, the con of this deck is Enchantress exists. Mm-hmm. all right so next up is uh, a deck i know you're very fond of which is sarah um so this is i think i pulled this list from you this is your sarah list some people i know have gone a bit heavier this on is the- not my sarah list oh it's not yeah okay so it does this sarah you list- can tell you can tell it's not mine because it runs storm storm yeah so so i know that sarah sarah surfer seemed to be a bit synonymous at this point the introduction of silver surfer seemed to fit a bit uh seemed to slot quite well into the Sarah deck. The Sarah deck, the general line is, you know, you're you're trying to get some equity in the early game, play Sarah, uh, and flood the board, right? So Sarah's discounting everything by one cost. It can be this deck can be okay <laughs> against leader, speaking of decks that are good against leader because of how Silver Surfer is going to buff the cards you developed before turn six. That being said, if you don't have priority, it is quite unfortunate when you do play that Silver Surfer buff some of the cards you play on turn six and the opponent gets the buff cards plus an additional silver surfer buff. I, but I'm going to let you take it away on Sarah because this is a, I know this is a, a favorite of yours. General strategy slash key lines. All right, hear me out. This might sound crazy, but you play a, a three drop on turn three and then a three drop on turn four and then you play Sarah and then you play three three drops on turn six. Whoa. No, I mean, I, I, I joke. But I actually don't joke. That is what you want to do. That is like that is exactly the thing you want to do. Yeah, I, uh, and for the record, I, I wanted to bring up why I don't like Storm in these lists because it makes your three and four extremely predictable. Like what you're gonna go Storm into Brood and blow your Brood on a Storm lane that you're probably already winning. That's ridiculous, right? Like I, I think Storm was one of the early traps that this list fell into. Or it's just like, why would we not run Storm Juggernaut in here? But the answer is because you you can threaten all three lanes. You don't need to steal a lane. You don't need to do that. You don't need to invest 
turn three and turn four into stealing one lane when you can threaten any lane. Like one thing I think people don't think enough about in Marvel Snap is the more of your opponent's cards you invalidate, like the, the harder your opponent is invested in a lane that you win, the better it is for you. And Storm is a signal to just not invest in a lane. Like, and so you're investing in this lane, but they're investing in the other lanes, and suddenly you're behind in the other two lanes, right? And that's not good. And Surfer especially is a deck that absolutely can can punish people for this, right? Like, they invest heavily in a lane, and you go like, ha-ha, it's Brood! And they're like, ah, shit, we lose that lane. And that's really good. Like, it, like I, I don't really know... I don't think that concept gets talked about enough, but winning lanes your opponent has invested in is a big way to win games in Marvel Snap. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Sarah, the Sarah playline on turn four, five, six. It can be a bit straightforward, right? But I do think that my favorite part about playing the Sarah deck is that you can play a lot of toolbox cards. So you can play things like Killmonger, yep. Polaris, um, and of course, the if you want to play Storm Juggernaut, you have Cosmo available. That makes it so you are playing this this flood oriented deck. Maybe you, what you would consider to potentially be an aggro deck, but you have all these reactive tools to interact with your opponent and disrupt them. And that makes the deck feel very rewarding to play, in my opinion. It's good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I, like, honestly, the analogy, here's a magic analogy for all the boomers out there. Uh, this is, this is like Callblade. It, it might, uh, like, it, maybe it's like Call Go, where it's just like, you, you're always in every game. And you're also doing this overpowered thing at the end. Like, people think of this as an aggro deck, and it's actually an interactive deck with an aggro finish. I don't know. It, it just kind of does everything. And that is, uh, it, it is, I think at any given time, it's the safest deck to play into an open field. Yeah. Do you think this deck is, is tier one? Do you think it's, it's one of the top decks? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, I agree with you. All right. Next up, we have one of my least favorite decks in Marvel Snap, but an interesting way to play the game. And that is the Lockjaw deck. So Lockjaw is completely centered around this card <laughs> being Lockjaw. Can we name. get... Can we get like casino music playing in yeah, the background for exactly. this? Like, can we get like the, the sound of a slot machine? Or, or like, no, no, no. I want, I want. Do you know when you're playing Mario Kart and it's just like you, you get one of the 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 items and it just like flashes over your head before it decides what item you get? That's the music I want playing right here. You know, I think my final evolution as a Marvel Snap player will be. I will purely be a Lockjaw Hella player. Just oh yeah, just rolling those dice. But um, oh, yeah, yeah, as KM has alluded to, this deck is quite high variance. You pretty much need to draw the namesake card because the rest of the deck virtually doesn't function without it. Um, it's playing a lot of top end. Uh, these cards you can see is, Amer- you know, America Chavez, Dr. Doom, Magneto, Infinite. It's pulling those out of the deck with Lockjaw by playing Sunspot, Wasp, some of these lower end cards. We'll play the things like Thor um, because you can get multiple triggers on the hammer to buff. And of course, place a card like Jubilee because you're going to have so much of that just useless top end in your deck anyway. You might as well yoke one out with, with Jubilee here. Have you played any Lockjaw Cam? Yeah, I played it on like the last hot location and I gained like 10 ranks. I was like, wait, why am I gaining <laughs> ranks with this pile? I mean, granted, the lo- the last location was extremely good for 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 Lockjaw. The one before Altar of Death, where we were just it was, I don't remember what it was, was it like Morag. It was no, it was the hot location, the twenty four hour one. The most recent one was just like, uh, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play a bunch of big idiots like Vision and Doctor Doom, and it's gonna be fine. And then it and then it, and then it was it was fine, and in a way that like I really have no explanation for. I think the deck might actually be underrated. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of does stuff. You know who like, loves there's this something deck? to be said for just like playing like I don't know playing like Thor into Jubilee into Vision into Doctor Doom that probably gets there a bunch right like it, I don't know if it gets there all the time but it's it's not nothing. <laughs> there's a couple of decks that I always see Den talk about. Den is a, a content creator associated with Marvel Snap Zone and has been in the TCG uh, sort of space for a, a long time or CCG whatever you want to call it. But I, <laughs> Lockjaw. Uh, Dracula is definitely one of his favorite decks. Oh that I see God, he 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 loves he loves Lock Dracula. <laughs> yeah, so, which uh, I, that's what he used to call it until someone pointed out what that sounds like. But <laughs> it's it's uh yeah he's he's always been a Lock Dracula evangelist. Yeah, that and bounce. Um, so yeah, pros uh 
pros are, I guess, there's not, sometimes there's not much your opponent can do. You can high roll the living crap out of them and the cons be, cons are high variance and you don't have a lot of agency over your gameplay. It doesn't feel like, but for some people, that's, that's a pro. I would say current viability. I mean, it's viable, but uh, you know, it's probably underrated. And I think that KM and I are not the players to go to when it comes to being like, how good is Lockjaw? Cause we will probably default to this deck sucks no matter how good it no, is. No, I don't think it sucks. You might, I don't think it sucks. I think it might, like, honestly, honest, honest to God, it might be the best pool three only deck. <laughs> like, I, that, that, that's an indictment of the rest of pool three only decks, but like, it, it honestly might be. So it's not that, that I think tells it tells you how desperate I've gotten. Yeah, it's not that I think it sucks. I think I just have a predisposition to dislike the deck. And because of that, I probably underrate it. You know, I probably don't play it enough. All right. Let's go to uh, the next one here, which is actually one of my favorite decks to play, even though it's not super viable, and that's Infinite oh, Discard. This deck is fun. This deck is fun. I love it. Yes. I always want it to be viable, but like my relationship with Discard is, do you know that scene in Arrested Development where Tobias is, is trying to convince his wife that they should maybe give it one more shot? <laughs> And, and and she goes, has that ever worked for anybody? And he goes, no, but it might work for us. That's how I feel with this card every single time. I have never, like, every time I'm like, I'm never playing this card again. Then someone posts a list that's like one card different from the thing I hated playing. And I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. So this list in particular that I have up is... <clears throat> It's probably the most consistent or one of the most consistent I've seen. And it has a bit of nuance to it uh, in the sense that you like you're not you're not playing your storm, uh, your swarm until turn six. You're trying to discard your swarm as much as possible. Obviously, discard your apocalypse as much as possible. And you want your Dracula to copy that apocalypse on turn six. You're also playing American Chavez out of hand. Um, and it's, it's decently consistent, right? There's not a lot of bad sort of bad beat discards out of the deck. You know, your Lady Sif is hitting hitting the card you want it to hit pretty much every single time while your Colleen Wing is almost 100% of the time discarding your Swarm and guaranteeing you the multiple copies. This is the deck that I go to after I hit Infinite and I'm looking to just kind of hang out and have fun. Pros are that... Does it ever Does it ever work? I, I, I'm going to ask you the questions on this one. Does like, it ever I, work? I want to know. Does it ever work? Like, is it? can you climb ranks with this deck? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, I've so last season I played it in Infinite. And I think I climbed like fifty cubes, just hanging out, just having fun, and just just messing around with the deck. I think that it's just it fades in terms of um, consistency compared to things like the Zabu decks, right? The Silver Surfer decks. Like you can discard your Dracula, and that sucks. You cannot draw your Dracula, and that sucks. This deck really wants to play Dracula on four, and that's probably the highest variance part about it. To be honest, like if yeah. You, my follow up is: Can we put Zabu in here? Can we put Zabu in here? Maybe, maybe. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. I haven't played this deck since uh, since last season. Yeah, that, that, that that's kind of like what other what other fours does this deck even want to play? Is the issue? Yeah, I don't. I'm not too sure off the top of my head. I'll have to revisit it. But I know some players <laughs> like this list I got specifically. I can't remember the player that I got it from, but they posted an entire article. About they climbed all the way to infinite with this specific list, and um, the 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 guy they wrote actually helped a lot because I think there's some play lines that you wouldn't immediately recognize. I would I would be curious to know mm -hmm. what their collection level was at the time that they did this. Well, they have Dracula, so I mean, right? But like you have there, this is like a deck that has that you can build once you get like a little bit into pool three. It's mm -hmm. just Dracula, Colleen Wing. And so, like, I do sort of wonder what impact that may have, but I have no, like, the matchmaking is so opaque to me that whenever I see a deck that I'm just like, that sucks, I always question the, the collection level, and that's probably not fair to the people yeah. <laughs> that I do it to. But, like, I always wonder, because it's like, you know, like, especially a deck that has, like, only a couple of pool three cards, it's like, you could be, like, collection level 600 right now, you know what I mean? Mm. And, like... You, you might not be seeing anyone who has like endgame stuff. I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I like it just I always have to wonder because like if you're not like collection level a billion, I can't be sure that you're actually seeing uh, the stuff that like I'd be afraid of. Basically, I can't be sure your experience would map onto mine. Yeah.
I mean, and that's also true the other way. Like if someone's listening to this and they're like, why is he focused so much on Darkhawk? I've never seen that card in my entire life. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, I mean, I would say def- if if you're if you're looking to play a discard list, I, I have a lot of faith in this one specifically. If you want to play that archetype, and I recommend I you do. give it a sh- I recommend you give it a shot because it is it is fun, right? And God, you know, it might work for me. I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm talking about something like I have I've played this exact list and been like I hate it. Ever I, I swear, but I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of fun decks, let's head on to another fan favorite of both of ours, which is Galactus. I oh. love this deck. I hate it sometimes when you, because it does feel a bit high variance, I guess. Um, but I freaking love this deck. I think I'm showing my list that is pretty similar to the one that I played on Altar. Um, but doc, like we talked, we talked about this on the show. Dr. Octopus is so freaking fun to play with. It is hilarious to Galactus people that are not expecting it. And Null is an awesome card if, you know, 99% of the meta isn't playing freaking leader. But I, I love this deck. I think that it's, some of its pros are, you know, even though Psylocke and Psylocke, Electro, they might kind of hint at this Galactus play when you leave a lane open and people can arrow you when you try to Galactus on five, you're still going to get a lot of people. A lot of people will be like, ah, oh, damn, they'll forget about the Galactus. You'll totally blow them right. out. And that is a great, a great experience. What, what is, uh, what are your thoughts on it? So the issue with this deck is you're like never, ever winning more than two cubes unless your opponents are really dumb. <laughs> um, but I think sometimes like the idea that like, oh, well, I'll be in a null or whatever, right? I, I do think it's very funny that they nerfed galactus and leader but kept it so that leader beats galactus in the heads up uh which means that a lot of the time if you expect a leader your play is to go shang chi into death rather than playing null but i don't know i just i enjoy i enjoy playing this deck because it lets me put enormous numbers on the board that's pretty much it i get to be like i get to i get to watch the galactus animation and hear his like the the dubstep sound of him blowing up the world and then I get to play an enormously large idiot. And that's that's kind of, yeah, I love that. You know, I'm a big fan of that in Marvel Snap. Yeah. Okay. Next up, let's go to Mr. Negative or Bass Negative as I kind of have it now. This is pretty close to the deck list. I don't know if I snagged this from you, but I remember when Bass came out. I do not play Magic. Yeah. Well, you were having an absolute meltdown when Bass first came out and you were just yoinking cubes from people i remember being in the stream at that time you're absolutely dominating people with a mr negative bass list this this list since then has obviously fallen fallen off for me um but i still think that it's it's a very unique way to play to play marvel snap you do kind of have to draw the namesake card but mr negative is a is a pretty unique effect if you didn't play in beta it will be relatively fresh to you i think i didn't play in beta but from what i understand this was he was a tyrant so the deck is the deck is quite powerful. Um, I think really what it's missing right now is is better ways of interacting. So, like if you ask me specifically, like I tend to prefer the Sarah Surfer decks over this just traditional Sarah Surfer, even though this has a much higher power ceiling, and that's almost entirely down to the fact that those decks get to play Cosmo, like. Getting to play Cosmo is the biggest deal in the world. Like it's one of the strongest cards in Marvel Snap. It gets to do this sort of reactive slash proactive play style. It's weird because people think the decks are the same. They couldn't be more different. This deck is all about maximizing point values, right? That's what it does. It does point values. Sarah Surfer interacts. Polaris. Cosmo. Killmonger. It's doing things to interact with your opponent's board. And this deck, outside of maybe a rogue, is not doing that. This is a, like, if we go back to the archetype discussion, aggro combo. Mm -hmm. All it does is points. That's it. That's the whole thing this deck does. And I remember, I actually had a conversation about this recently with uh, Vin Kelsier of SnapFan, who was the originator, I guess, of this archetype. Uh, like wrote about it before Bast came out, was talking about how this would be the deck once Bast dropped, as soon as it dropped. Uh, the, the the stream you remember, I was playing his list. And he's like, yeah, I basically agree with you that losing Cosmo is like really, really bad. <laughs> uh, 
he's less he did not agree with me that losing Killmonger was as bad as I thought it was. But like I, I think just sort of fundamentally, I, I tend to prefer the the other list a little bit more, which is not to say this list is bad at all. It's probably got one of the it's probably got an extremely high cube uh equity. Mm-hmm. because you you are able to compete in in most of the games you play. You have a bunch of redundancy. I do think it's important to note that I, I think Sarah is bad in this list. I think the list you have up is pretty old. Uh, Blue Marvel, Magic, and Sarah are not cards I would play right now. You need to be able to actually play the cards in your deck. And so you end up leaning much more towards a Silver Surfer type game plan. So you have like Silver Surfer, you have Brood, you do things like that. And that that I think Bishop might also be a little bit iffy in the deck, but he is a three one. I've seen I've seen Vin run morph specifically so that he could play him for free on turn six after a Mr. Negative. I don't know about that, but he's he's always been more into morph than I have been. Uh, the the main thing I do think this deck is is not the, the list that's on screen right now, or at least the list I'm looking at is not what I would play. I would not recommend it in any real way, but there are plenty of solid builds out there that cap out at like just Mr. Negative and Iron Man as your four and your five and everything else is cheaper and you're you're hybridizing with Surfer. But generally speaking, I prefer the interactive Surfer decks to the ones that are purely trying to interact based on point placement. Yeah. I've uh I played this deck a little bit, but I didn't have uh, as good results. I also played the version that you were playing uh, back on Bass release, but let's go ahead and head into Death Wave because this is, in, in my opinion, this is a fantastic Marvel Snap deck. It just unfortunately suffers from leader. So everything, if, yeah, it suffers from everything. What like what? it suffers from? It suffers from Zabu. It suffers from leader. It suffers. It suffers from everything, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. so now that Zabu is a thing. I mean, I used to think that I this was my favorite deck before the. The kind of Darigen good stuff leader deck was just 90 plus percent of ladder. This was my favorite deck to play, or specifically the Barrow list. Um, you just oh, call him Darigen. Sorry, what did I say? Darigen. Darigen. I mean, that's that's a reasonable thing to say. No, it's like calling me Kim Best. Kim Best. I mean, that we could uh, we could move on. That's a that could be a good nickname. Um, <laughs> yeah, Darigen. Um, yeah, before his list got popularized and leader was everywhere, it's it was one of my favorite lists in Snap. I thought She Hulk was a great was a great addition to that, but it does feel it like was. it's it's just fallen behind, right? In terms of its viability, it's not even bad. It's still a fine deck. I think it's pretty good. Even it's just not the force it used to be. It's a shame. Mm-hmm. I do think the build that I'm looking at is correct to cut uh, Arrow here. In the context of Zabu, Arrow is way worse, right? Yeah. The reason Arrow was so good in Death Wave was because you could know they were only playing like one card, and that means you could always safely arrow it out of the lanes you wanted it to be in. But now it's Zabu, and they're playing like three, and suddenly you're like, oh shit, I, I actually can't guarantee that Arrow's going to win this game. It does make Leader a lot stronger, and that does in turn make you kind of not want America Chavez because, you know, you do want to be able to draw the Leader in those matchups, and she does make you a little less likely to do that, while in exchange making you more likely to draw Wave plus She-Hulk. It's just a question of which one of those you prioritize. It's just, if you're relying that heavily on Leader, maybe you want to be a different deck. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Let's just hit the honorable mentions here, because we've, uh, you know, we've taken quite a bit of time going through these lists. So I'm just going to say for... A lot of mentions, I guess, are Ongoing Destroyer, Devil Dino, um, which is obviously centered around the namesake card. Thanos, uh, a deck I hope uh, to play more. Thanos is actually good. I swear to God, Thanos is actually good. It's just no one's going to buy Thanos. Yep. <laughs> that deck is actually good. I, I, like, I, I would not be surprised if it was better than something like Death Wave or Ongoing Destroyer, generally. It just kind of is, right? It does stuff, and no one really... One of the major advantages of it is no one has any idea what its range is at any given time. Like, you know what you're doing, but they have no idea if you're, like, going to draw eight cards or, like, play a blue marble or, like, play a devil dinosaur. No one knows. There's, um... So one of my biggest, uh... My biggest critiques of Snap, just as, as a... As a personal player, like my personal issue, right? Or just one thing that's lacking for me is the best way I can 
draw a parallel to is in, in Flesh and Blood, there's a deck, um, there's a hero called Kano. Um, it's the wizard hero, and it's centered around drawing a lot of cards, deck manipulation, it's combo-oriented, and it's it's more, I guess it's complex in a sense, but it plays a bit of a solitaire game plan, which is not... It's blue. Bit. Yes, it's blue. And Thanos feels like a deck sort of like that where I can invest into it. I'm playing with my deck, right? I'm drawing a lot of cards, I'm manipulating my deck, etc., etc. And I actually feel like Thanos is extremely unique in Marvel Snap because no other deck feels like that to me. Yep. Um, I don't think it's the the final form of that kind of play style in this game, but it's the first iteration and it feels great. And yeah, Thanos is a deck that I just hope to get a lot more reps on in the future because it gives you that uh, that sort of relationship with your deck. You're drawing tons of cards, you, you know, you're manipulating sort of what's in your deck, what's not, and it feels great. All right, it's so, a great it's 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 great fun and probably better than people think it is. My last mentions are Zoo, Move, and um Kim Best's favorite deck, Agatha. <laughs> uh no. Agatha is obviously a meme. Um I know that every YouTube thumbnail you see will will beg to differ telling you it's the most broken Agatha deck that exists, but uh Agatha uh, is busted. Agatha's busted farming cubes. Uh, classic. All right, that concludes our um, our main talk about the pod, which is was archetypes in Marvel Snap. We tried to show you all a lot of deck lists, a lot of synergy deck lists, uh, or synergy decks, you know, things that are built around specific cards or strategies. And hopefully, we displayed that there's just many different ways to interact with the game. There's many different ways to build your deck and to play a game of Marvel Snap. I know that the higher ranks have felt like they've converged onto you know a more value-oriented gameplay or playing these cost reduction cards like Zabu or top-end cards like Arrow and Leader, but there really is so many different options in this game. So hopefully we've displayed some of that today. To close that out, uh, Cam, we did, we do since we're a new podcast, reviews mean a lot. So if you are enjoying the podcast, let us know. We we do have a sort of a URL or a lander for all reviews. It's called Rate This Podcast. So if you go to ratethispodcast.com slash snapshot, it's going to be a review aggregator that will sort of detect whatever you're on, whether it's desktop or iOS, and just make it one click easy to leave a review. And that leads us into our next section, which is going to be at the end of pods, which is reading out a new review on the week. Uh, just want to let you know that if you do want to get your re- review read out, funnier, the better. Feel free to poke at, poke fun at us and make a little joke. So t- uh, this week's review, not on the funny side, but a very nice review at that. It's from EB and they say, stoked to see Brennan come out with a new podcast for this game too. I'm excited to see what you guys have coming next. So sounds I like think it's, it's important a- to note. I think it's important to note that uh, Brendan is the one who picks these outros. So the nicer you are to him, the more likely he is to pick uh, your outro to the podcast. Oh, you say that, but I've had some serious burns on um, on on the Arsenal Pass podcast, and people love to love to go at me on the. Look, I, I'm just saying it's not a coincidence that the first review he reads out is one that's like, yo, Brendan, you're so cool. <laughs> it's the only review, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's the best I could do. But yeah, get us some funny oh, ones so we can we can laugh a bit harder in the in the outro here. Uh, but yeah, rate this podcast.com slash the snapshot helps out a lot. So this there is a video version of this podcast on YouTube. If you are listening on a pod platform, we're at around four to five hundred subscribers right now. If you could subscribe, that would help us out a ton. We're trying to get a 2,000 subscribers. And I'm not just going to be like a traditional YouTuber asking you to subscribe without giving you anything in return. I come bearing gifts. And what those gifts are is once we hit 1,000 subscribers, we will unlock YouTube chapters. So what are chapters? Chapters are when you look at a YouTube video and it's broken out into all those segments. So you'll see on the other, the other Snapshot episodes, I've gone and written out all the different segments, but they're not coded into the video. And we have to hit 1K subscribers until that is unlocked on YouTube. So if you want to be able to skip past certain sections, skip to the outro, hear the funny, the funny comment at me, just get us to 1K subscribers and we'll have chapters unlocked. So yeah, that's uh, youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. We're on Twitter. I'm at BrendanAPG. KM is at, at KMBestMS. And KM, why don't you go ahead and plug your Twitch and we'll sign off. Actually, uh... Kim Best Miz, I think that's how that's pronounced. Oh my God. Uh, I'm never I'm gonna li- sure. I'm never gonna sure. live this down. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. 
Kim Bestmiz uh, and Brendan Abja. Yeah. Brendan Abja. Brendan Abja. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, my Twitch also Cam Bestmiz. I stream daily at this point. I don't know why I'm saying at this point. I've streamed daily for like the last three months. I, it, it still feels new to you be, when you stream because like, you know, I have an eight hour work day and then a four hour stream. And so like I, you never get any time to like decompress and actually take stock of where you are. You're just you're just going and going and going. And if you'd like to see a man go and go and go until he eventually spirals into a complete meltdown of uh, like imagine Scrooge McDuck diving into the gold coins, but with cubes. That's that's kind of where I'm at with this. But no, all, all seriousness, I am endeavoring to create content that helps you get better at Marvel Snap to help you be a better player, to help you and like in in maybe the slightest way uh be like a little better at you know handling the worst aspects of playing card games that you care about uh so i try to i try to work on that too because it's stuff that i have to work on but but mostly i think people follow me because i i i I play game good and give deck lists to help you play game good too i think that that's probably that would be my guess at the majority of the appeal I, I can't really tell. I it's like I said, I've never taken any time to take stock and decompress because I have been so grateful for the support I've received. You just sort of keep going, you keep pushing, and it's just like I, until 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 I'll just I'll just keep going. Basically, it's I'm the Energizer Bunny of Marvel Snap. I'm just there <laughs> every day, awesome. same time, six p.m. weekdays, usually about three to four p.m. weekends. We'll check it out. That concludes episode three of The Snapshot. Let us know what you think in the comments below. If you want to get your comment read out on the bend and snap section, just shoot that in the YouTube comments and we'll get one set up for episode four next week. But until next time, we'll see you in the next episode.